Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. I am your host, Nick Sigelski, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Jen Allen Knuth. And today, I'm also your guest. Jen, why should people listen? Well, first of all, because this is the first time you've ever been a guest on your own show. So if that's not reason enough, we're talking about a really cool topic, which is how you go about selling a service, not a product. So lots of good learnings today. A three, a two, a one, please listen to me. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Today's prospecting tip is brought to you by Woodpecker. When you're sending a sales email, you generally want to avoid putting punctuation in the subject line. If you've got an exclamation point, it makes it seem like you're shouting at them. Look at this amazing offer. And a question mark just smells salesy. So avoid punctuation. Now, if you want to steal my full sales cadence from my friends at Woodpecker, there's a link in the show notes for you to go get it and try it for free. Nick, welcome to the show. We start every single episode, as you well know, with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your top three. All right. Number one is use your small talk time strategically. Do not waste time talking about the weather or sports or the plant in somebody's background. Instead, what you should do is prepare the small talk you're going to make for a sales call. And ideally, the small talk that you're making is adjacent to the problem that you solve. So I sell to marketers who wants to advertise their products to you, audience. And what I'll do is I'm not going to start the call talking about that, but instead what I'll look for is a campaign that their marketing team did recently or an awesome social post that I saw come from their company page. And I'll start the call commenting on that. 
And that does three things. One, it shows them that I did my prep. Two, I'm complimenting them on their team's work, which people like that, helps them open up. But then three, they'll respond talking about that campaign or that post, which actually is a little bit of sneaky discovery for me because I can ask them about that during the small talk phase of a call. All right, great. What is number two? Number two is once you've made that small talk, you need to, as quickly as possible, get to the other party's motivation for even being on that call in the first place. It's pretty easy with an inbound lead. You can say something to the effect of, so what prompted you to reach out? But for an outbound lead, what I say is something like, Jen, you know, I have to imagine there's a lot of salespeople like me that reach out to you and want to get time on your calendar. And I can't imagine you take meetings with every single one of them. What prompted you to decide to meet with me today? Now, sometimes they'll give you a great response. Oh, I looked on your website and I saw this and I love this. Cool, we can actually start the conversation. But other times they're gonna be like, well, you reached out to me or this person made an intro. And so, yeah, I figured I would just be here. Okay, you now know they have very little context and you're gonna have to do a little bit more work to prime them on the types of problems that you solve, which you don't necessarily have to do as much work on if they gave you a gushing answer about what they know about you, your business, and their problems. Round us out, what's number three? Number three is if you've done these two things right, you've got some awesome momentum for starting that call and you should have a pretty good first call. And if you have a pretty good first call, you want to make sure you have a pretty good second, third, fourth, and fifth call. And what I like to do is artificially create groundswell momentum for my deal and start to multi-thread immediately after that first call. And so there's two plays that I run. Play number one is if I'm meeting with a head of demand gen on a marketing team, I know that eventually I'm going to have to get in front of the head of content and their head of product marketing and probably a couple other people. And what I'll do is, I won't even talk about this on the call, but I'll go on LinkedIn and I will find Jen, if Jen's my buyer, Jen's colleagues in the marketing org, and I'll send them a connection request with a note that says something like, hey, I just met with Jen. She's awesome. That's it. And what I'm doing here is they're going to be like, oh, Nick met with Jen, huh? And they might bring it up when they talk with Jen. Even if they don't, I'm on their radar. And then a 30 MPC specific one here is I will actually go find salespeople in our 30 MPC audience database who work at the companies that I want to sell to. And if I meet with Jen, the head of marketing, I'm going to go find reps and sales leaders on her team and say, hey, I just met with Jen. Your team's thinking about advertising with 30 MPC. Would you be open to putting in a good word for me? And they always do. And then Jen is like, man, my team loves you, which always helps my sale. So today we have a very special first. So for as long as 30MPC has been around, Nick has never been in the hot seat. So today we are changing this. He's going from host to guest. So for those of you that don't know, Nick actually spent most of his career selling accounting software to lawyers. Now he's been selling 30 Minutes to President's Club sponsorships since 2020, but went full-time on it in July 2022. So today, I thought, what an awesome opportunity to talk about something so near and dear to my heart, how you make the shift from selling a physical product to a service. So today, Nick is going to talk about what he's learned, what he does differently to effectively sell something we can't demo. Nick, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this. In your actionable takeaways, you talked about some of the unique things you are doing to prep for your first call. And one of the things you talked about was deciding on what kind of relevant compliment to give them. 
Can you take us through how do you make the decision of what you're going to compliment them about? Yeah. And I want to reiterate why I'm even doing this in the first place, Jen, which is there's enough pressure on you as a salesperson on a sales call to run that call that anything you can do in advance of the meeting to remove that pressure from yourself is extremely important to do. You should never let having to make small talk and navigate crummy small talk encumber you on a sales call. And so I look for things to make small talk about in advance of the meeting. And you're right. These shouldn't be cheesy things like, oh, Jen, I really love your product logo. It's so nice. Like, <laughs> What are they going to say about that? Thanks. Instead, what I am doing is I am looking for things that I can observe about the company or the person that are adjacent to the problem that I solve. So we solve a bunch of different problems at 30MPC, all related to promoting our sponsors, helping them get in touch with their target accounts and get in touch with their target buyers. And so I'll look for stuff like, have they launched a new product recently? Because my guess is they'll probably want to promote that. Or what are they doing like with webinars and what are they doing on social? Because that stuff is at least next to the problem that we solve. And so I'll comment on those things. I'll show up in a meeting and I'll be like, hey, it's really cool to meet you. And it's funny, I saw you just did a webinar with Jason Bay and we've done some stuff with him before. He's amazing. Oh, yeah, Nick, we're really trying to do stuff with folks who have a big audience in the market. Oh, well, what prompted that? Great. We're already in discovery, and I've got them talking, but it came out of our small talk. Look for things that allow you to make small talk that get them to open up in the direction of what you want to discover. So there's so much about this I love. I think the big key thing here is focusing on relevance. Anybody can throw a compliment out about your bike or your chair or whatever. It's not differentiated. But what you're doing, and I think you described it this way, is kind of sneakily sliding into discovery by opening with a relevant point of view on something they're doing. So I think that's really great advice we can all look for. Now, how do you make the transition from the small talky opener to what you talked about in terms of their motivation for being on the call today? It depends on like how the small talk goes. Like if they're really opening up and they're sharing stuff related to what you solve, we'll keep going for a couple minutes there. But if it's like, oh yeah, we did launch that new product that wasn't really involved, but it looked cool. I'll know, okay, we need to transition to business faster. Prospects have a massive spectrum of why they might show up on a sales call. They might know your company. They might have a huge burning problem that they need to solve immediately and they want to share it all with you right away. Well, I want to give them the mic early to share that. The other end of the spectrum is they don't really know you all that well. They like sort of agreed to this outbound meeting, but it's really, really cold. And I'm going to treat those two people very, very differently from each other. But I need to figure out where they're at, which is why I asked the question, why did you take this call? And for an inbound call, it's easy. You just say, hey, what prompted you to reach out? For an outbound call, it's a little bit trickier, but the talk track is, Jen, I have to imagine there's a lot of salespeople like me who reach out to you and want to get time on your calendar, and I don't imagine that you take meetings with every single one of them. What prompted you to decide to meet with me today? And the response that you get there will show you where they sit on that spectrum, and then you can handle things accordingly. I've got to ask, I don't think you're in sales if you haven't had this happen to you. Let's say you ask that question. And the response you get is just a completely uninspiring, your SDR wouldn't leave me alone, or I don't remember. What do you do when the answer to that question falls flat? You're going to get that. I had somebody the other day, they were like, I don't remember. I had another woman who was like, I was just being nice. Like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be a fun meeting. 
The people that say that are much colder and you need to help remind them very, very succinctly like what your company does, the typical types of problems that you solve, and you need to try to insert some social proof. And so my response there is no problem. Would it be helpful for me to give you the 45 second summary of why I thought it might be relevant for us to meet? They will almost always say, yes, that would be helpful. In fact, they'll always say that. No one's going to say no to that question. And from there, you can prime them with, we've talked about this on the show before, your typically language, where you're suggesting problems that people like them deal with and that you solve for them. And so I'll share something like that as a way to open them up. So how do you, again, you can tell I'm big on transition. So how do you transition that, right? Like this is why here's what people use us for. What is the transition question or moment that you have once you're done saying that? It's a pretty soft pulse check, to be honest. So I might say something like, you know, Jen, part of the reason that I reached out to you is I saw you all just launched a new tool for sales reps. And I know you've historically sold to marketers, but I see that you're targeting the sales persona more. And it's actually interesting. We've done that for some folks who sponsor us. I'm not sure if you're familiar with like ZoomInfo, for example. They're really working with us to highlight some of the other use cases that they have for sales teams beyond just their data use case. I could talk for hours about how we do some of that stuff, but I'm wondering if that's even something you're focused on. Okay, so we need to pause for a second and talk about the way that you use social proof because I think this is something I used to get wrong a lot. What you're doing is you are contextualizing it around the problem you are hypothesizing that they have. So even just your description of how Zoom Info used you, I think that is a huge takeaway here. Yeah, and I think there's three parts of what I did there, Jen. One was I was commenting on, I saw this, which made me think this. Then what I was doing is, I have a bunch of very short customer stories or short customer use cases of why folks have chosen to sponsor 30 Minutes to President's Club, and I'll attach that to my hunch. I'm not naming folks that people haven't heard of. I'm naming folks that have a lot of credibility in this space as a way them to say, oh, if ZoomInfo and Clary and Gong are advertising with 30 Minutes to President's Club, this is probably worth leaning in a little bit on. And so I do drop that intentionally. But then I also try to diffuse the question at the end where it's like, I don't want to assume that's something that you're even focused on because I don't want to seem like I'm painting them in a box. So you're opening it up for them to correct you. And by correcting, you're giving them the opportunity to redirect what they want to spend time on. And I think that's a fear a lot of us have, right? What if we guess the wrong thing? And I think what you're explaining here is that's okay because at least we're getting them talking. Yes. One other thing that I'll do to the point of getting them talking is I think one of the most challenging things on a sales call is how do I get the other person to open up and feel comfortable with me? And how do I actually get them to share information that helps me get to the point of figuring out, do we solve this problem for them? How do I get information that helps me advance the sale? And what I will do is I'll actually prepare questions that I plan to ask that I want to get the answers to in advance of the call. And I'll write them down on a piece of paper like this, and I won't get to all of them. But anytime I feel like the conversation is stuck and I don't know how to move it forward, I'll go back to one of those questions. Okay. So a lot of what I'm hearing is you've come into the call prepped for any direction, right? You've prepped different customer stories, depending on what they attach to. You've prepped different questions. This isn't just think on your feet in the moment. You've got kind of your toolkit in the back and you're pulling things out as you go as the customer is talking. One more thing that I want to add to from like a toolkit perspective is 
do not neglect the stuff that you do in advance of the call. So two plays that I'll run is one, I recorded in my own voice a 45-second explainer video of here's 30 minutes to President's Club, here's the very short pitch on what we do, here's some details of our audience. And I'll always share that anytime I meet with a new stakeholder because I sell to marketers and they really want to validate that our audience is in their ICP. And when I share that in advance, it makes it so that the first call, they already know that we're talking about getting them in front of the right people. And it's a much smoother introductory meeting. But what I'll also do is I'll email them before the meeting. I'll be like, hey, I'm really excited to meet with you. I want to make sure that our time together is really, really effective. Is there anything in particular you really want to make sure that we cover or address in our time together? And people respond, I don't know, 35% of the time. But that pre-meeting work can actually accelerate your discovery pretty dramatically. And I do want to call this out. So for those of you that don't know, I was actually a customer of Nick's when I was at Lavender and we sponsored 30 Minutes to President's Club. And I know this is like a cardinal sin to say this, but I am not a fan of watching videos because I'm like, it's interrupting my flow of work. So I'm not a video person. What I do think you do exceptionally well that I haven't heard you talk about is how you frame the why watch the video. Can you address that? Yeah. So I'll use video in sales in a couple different times, right? We talked about that pre-meeting watch. And I think the way that I frame that is like, hey, this two-minute video gives a really clear summary of what we do, the folks in our audience, and why I think this is relevant to you. Like, you can watch it. Awesome. If not, we can spend some time talking about that stuff in our first meeting. And the motivated marketer who wants to get a lot out of that first meeting, they're going to watch it, and they're going to come to me with questions, which is a good thing. And so... That's sort of an optional piece. I think the way that I'll typically try to frame any video that I send, I'll have a proposal meeting with you, Jen, right? We'll go over the proposal for what your sponsorship is going to be, but there's always going to be somebody that can't make it. And I do not want to lose the chance to present to that person. And so it's like, I'll write down the notable moments and I'll actually film a five minute proposal recap video where I'll really hammer the things that you loved and I'll make sure to answer the questions that you had had that even if I answer them in real time, I imagine your teammates are going to have also. So that five-minute proposal summary video, it's a really, really effective tool for helping you socialize the proposal to the entire team. Like, would it be helpful for me to do like a five-minute video summarizing what we talked about today? They always say yes. And that's the thing. You're so conscious of reducing buyer effort. And it's one of those things that I think we as buyers neglect to ask for because we're just in the moment. We're not thinking about the next action we're supposed to take, but you are. And you're thinking about what is the lowest amount of effort I can ask of this person. I will take on more so that they can take on less. When you are able to put your buyer in that position and allow them to say, look, we're being mindful of our ask for your time to their bosses or their colleagues who they need internally, that's a moment that you're making your buyer look good. So I'm just a huge fan of the framing of how you do that. And that's how you win deals is showing the customer, hey, we're willing to take all this work off you. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to get to a win. My mind just goes to like how helpful if you start on a team and you're a new seller and someone's like, here's a bunch of questions and answers that you may or may not get asked. So just to button this up, we've talked about video. Can you just shout out what are the key moments in your sales process where you really view video as a prime channel for helping move the deal forward? Yeah, I would say the three main places that I think I'm using it is one, the meeting pre-watch. 
and there's two types. I have a generic one that I use for almost every introductory meeting. I have enough of those that I'm not going to film a custom one every single time unless it's a really special prospect. Then I have the proposal recap where I'm going over, hey, this is what we covered. These were the things you really liked. Here's how it solves your problem. Then I've got stuff like the executive briefing video where it's like, hey, we're meeting with his exec. Let's go back and forth and make sure whatever we're putting in front of them gets them primed. So if we're meeting, it's a really great meeting. If we're not, at least it gives me a chance to present asynchronously to that person. One other, sometimes I'll do like custom pre-watch videos, especially if I have a really big room. It's actually something we use for our implementation and onboarding at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, where I'll sell to a head of marketing. And then the kickoff meeting, there's like eight marketers and I haven't met seven of them. And I'm like, oh gosh, I don't know how much context these folks have. Most of the time, your buyers aren't talking to each other. It's amazing. So that video pre-watch for like even an implementation meeting is really helpful. So walk us through, how do you actually help your prospect when you're selling a service, understand the value that you deliver absent of having something physical that you can show on a Zoom screen? Yeah, I can only speak to what we've done at 30 Minutes to Presidents Club. What we sell are sponsorships on all of the 30 Minutes to Presidents Club media. So think podcast ads, think sponsored guest interviews. And so I think the key here was there is a visual element to what I present. I actually do show a demo, but what I've done is I've created some visuals of, okay, let's start with podcast. Let's talk about what's going to happen on the podcast. Podcast ads, we're going to run a million podcast ads for you over the course of the year. And what I heard from you was that you really want to promote your new product launch. And so I'm thinking we run a bunch of ads that talk about how it can help salespeople do X. Okay, the next piece is a sponsored guest interview where we're going to bring somebody from your sales team onto the show and we're going to interview them about how they help with A, B, and C. By the way, let me show you an example of this. Here's one of our sponsors. They sent their CRO on. So folks will typically send somebody fairly high profile. Then I'll move to the webinar piece and I'll talk about what we do with the webinars. So what I'm doing when I talk about the service of what we do, I'm trying to talk about, hey, here's what you get and here's how it's connected to the problem that you solve. But I really think regardless of what you sell, Jen, there has to be a visual element to it because if I'm just explaining things like auditorily, one, it's not going to hit them as hard. Two, it makes it really hard for them to socialize. Like, what am I going to send? So the visual element really, really helped us. And telling the story of how each element of what they get works together has also been a really big change for us. The other thing that I'll say is the visual, I want to make it extremely skimmable. So in a one-page screenshot, somebody can see the totality of what they get from 30MPC, but all of the technical voiceover and the little details, I'm going to talk through that with the customer. Because the inverse of that is I put them all on the slide, and then it's just a wall of text, and you totally lose them. Agreed. So we're at the end of the call with the champion You've given them a visual illustration of some of the services. You've given them context around the specific use case for them. How do you get prescriptive about what you need for them to do at the end of that conversation to make the next step happen? Assuming, as you've talked about, like very few of your deals sound like they're just one single stakeholder that's buying it. Yeah. So I learned this from Armand, actually. He talks about the last five minutes of a call. You have to follow what's called the five-minute row. And the way that Armand describes it is you ask three questions, which are, do you want to buy? When do you want to buy? How do you want to buy? And you're not actually asking those questions. But what you are doing is, before I talk about, hey, here's what the next step should be, 
or, oh, here's the timing of when we need to meet next, I need to pulse check with them and be like, how do you feel about this? Because there's no sense in me talking about next steps at all unless they feel good about moving forward. And so I need to isolate the discussion at the end into those three buckets. The first piece is at the end, I'm basically asking, so Jen, how are we feeling, right? I'm trying to get a sense of, do you like this or not? And if you're like, this is awesome, Nick, like I'm really excited about this, great. Then I can move to the next piece of the five-minute drill, which is talking about the timing. But if you're like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm not totally sure, it's pretty expensive, and I don't really understand this, I don't need to talk about next steps, Nick. I need to talk about your concerns. I need to make sure that you want to move forward before we talk about moving forward. And it seems really obvious, but a lot of folks skip that very quick calibration with the buyer of how are you feeling? before they talk about what should happen next. The next piece is, what are we thinking on timing here? Because the next steps are often going to be dictated by how soon they want to move. So your answer to that question is often going to help inform what the next step is. So if I ask you, okay, cool, Jen, I'm really excited that you want to keep exploring this. How are you feeling on the timing of things? you're then going to reveal a little bit around where your head is at with when you need to make a decision, have this live, et cetera. And if you tell me, yeah, we need to get this thing stood up next month because we have that big product launch coming and we need to make a splash the day it goes live, I'm going to treat that very, very differently than if you're like, yeah, we're finalizing what 2024 is going to look like. We haven't totally figured that out yet. Okay, I will suggest a different next step based upon your timing and how hot you want to move. You mentioned that dreaded prospect who says, hey, it's kind of expensive. I'm sure that comes up in your conversations. What do you do when a customer says, yeah, I like it, but I want a discount? How do you create urgency instead? Oh, well, it depends on when they ask that question. If I'm getting that super, super early and there's no buying signal at all, they're probably kicking me around. And I'll usually try to understand more about that, which is like, I understand that, Jen. What did you have in mind? And I want to get them sharing more and more and more because expensive might mean, well, you know, we can't pay $100,000 up front. Like we would need that split into split billing terms. I can work with that more than I can work with, this is 100 grand. I thought it was 10 grand, right? So I need to understand what they mean there. And anytime somebody hits me with a price objection, I think a lot of salespeople have normalized their reaction to a price objection. Meaning Jen tells me she needs a $20,000 discount off of my offering. And I respond with my negotiation script, my objection handling script, and I proceed as if this were business as usual. That is a problem because you are signaling to the other party that negotiating and discounting like this is typical. And your reaction when hit with a price objection should be the same. Like, oh gosh, you sort of want a look of concern and confusion and distress on your side where it's like, this isn't normal what you're asking for. And that helps you protect your pricing integrity far more than a vossism or like this weird, oh, let's quantify and back out the ROI of this. You need to make it seem like it's kind of weird what you're asking for. So that's if you're getting the price objection. I can talk about another way, but you might have questions on some of that, Jen. No, hit us with the other way. Okay, so the other way, and this is how we also drive urgency at 30 Minutes to President's Club, is by telling the truth, which is when I sell sponsorships on our media, we have limited inventory. 
And the reality is we've got a lot of sponsor interest. And so I had somebody the other day ask me for a 20% discount and they said something to the effect of, Nick, we're really excited about this. We want to move forward. We see the value. Like we're ready to sign a contract. The only thing is like, could we get a 20% discount off of what you've offered? And my response was, first, I'm really excited that you want to do this. You told me you're looking to solve these three problems and I know we're going to knock this out of the park. I can't give you a 20% discount. And the reason for that is I actually spent most of my career selling software, Mr. Customer. And it was actually interesting there. It was like really normal to present a $100,000 proposal and then discount down to 80,000. But here we actually have really limited inventory and I'm actually going to run out of inventory for the next year pretty soon. And so because of that, I literally cannot discount. It doesn't make financial sense for our business. And I understand that might not be what you had expected. And I say that last statement really intentionally because I don't want to come across as like flippant or dismissive of their ask, particularly like if they can't afford that bigger one and I misread the situation, but it's the truth. We could only bring on three folks in this next quarter. Oh, I love the blend of the confidence of not just looking for a way to bring them on, but holding firm, but also the very intentional softening language you use at the end, because I agree that has the potential to sound arrogant and like you're in or you're out. And I, I know you're of this mindset, like someone who's not a customer today can always be a customer tomorrow. So I think for those of us that may be hesitant to stand firm on our ground, I think it's really, really powerful to use that language at the end to show that I'm not trying to scare tactic you into buying. I'm just being honest and upfront about the situation of buying this today. So we are down to our last question. We talked a lot of the great things sellers should be doing. What is one thing sellers should stop doing because it hurts them more than it helps? So the bad habit, the quote that I live by is, you don't have to feel good to get started but you do have to get started to feel good. And what I mean by that is too many salespeople, too many human beings wait until they feel like doing something. And the reality is you're not going to feel those things. You'll actually feel like doing them once you've done them. And so find ways to artificially start your motor and do the hard work. Do the thing that you're afraid of or scared of early when you realize you need to do that thing, because that's how you actually create that positive feeling that allows you to go seek discomfort and do the hard stuff that other folks won't. If success were easy, everybody would do the things that are required to earn it, but it's not. And so you should not fear hard. Nick, you did it. You're out of the hot seat. Amazing Ooh. episode. It was so great to turn the tables on you for once. Everyone stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect 
any reply from a prospect, I press command H and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox. If I don't get a reply in two days, that means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time, every time you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Your top four actionable takeaways from this episode with Nick Skelsky are number one, prep. Have multiple back pocket questions in case you run into that dreaded, I just took the call because your SDR called me 90 times moment. Number two, social proof. Instead of simply name dropping big customer names you work with, use examples you can envision being relevant to how your buyer might use your service. Have a similar use case in mind. Number three is when you get hit with a price objection, focus on the tenor, the tone of your response just as much as you focus on the specific words that you say. You need to be signaling with your voice and your body language and your emotional response that it's kind of weird that they're asking for a discount. You don't want them to think that discounting is business as usual for you. And then number four is don't just use video for prospecting. Some other video use cases are a pre-call warm-up, a pre-watch, a post-call summary or proposal summary, and then three, an exec primer. So if you're meeting with an exec, a very tight video that helps them know what the heck you even do. Okay. And Nick, how can listeners help us out? Well, I wasn't just making stuff up on this episode. I really do sell all of our 30 Minutes to Presidents Club sponsorships. So if you know anybody who works at a sales tech company that might want to sell to you, listener, send them my way. I'd love to talk with them about helping promote them on 30 Minutes to Presidents Club, the podcast, the webinars, the newsletter, and more. Thanks for listening, folks. And we'll see you next week on the show. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration tip is brought to you by Demandbase. If you want to save a ton of time as a salesperson and be more relevant, I recommend you prioritize your prospecting by those prospects who are showing buyer intent. It'll keep you from making a bunch of noise and reaching out to folks who aren't in market, and instead you'll reach out to folks who are in market. Now, we built a bunch of templates to help you prioritize, accelerate, and win with Demandbase, and there is a link to those wonderful templates in today's show notes.